Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a new episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me for this conversation about Chloe Zhao's latest feature film is my main man, Kales. Good evening. In case you haven't heard, the Seattle Film Critics Society, of which Kales and I are both members and voters, announced our 2021... No, we didn't. We announced our 2020 awards. It is 2021, so it's a little confusing. We did it a little late this year, but we announced our 2020 movie awards last week. And we named this film, Nomadland, as Best Picture. Uh, it was also awarded Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Actress for Frances McDormand's performance, and Best Film Editing. It was the most awarded film of the year for us. We both feel that that high praise is earned, and we've been excited to talk about this one together for a while. So this comes at the perfect time because as of right now, recently released in both theaters where available, you can actually see this in IMAX and we both highly recommend that. It is a gorgeous film. Uh, but you can also see it at home, streaming on your couch on Hulu right now. Finally, after all of this wait, I know critics got to see this one, we saw it probably six months ago for the first time, it feels like, uh, at least, and poor old, regular old moviegoers have just been waiting patiently for this to release. So now it's out, my man, and they get to see it. Well, we have one quick announcement. This week on Friday, we will be dropping our extra monthly donor pick episode which is the one that is voted on by our amazing patrons. For February, we are covering a Best Picture winner, and The Silence of the Lambs was the choice. I know Killess and I are both hyped to go into that one. We both have the Criterion edition of the film, so I think we've got some opportunity to go through some of the supplement materials, and that'll probably show up somewhat in our conversation as well. For our bonus content, we'll be having some coffee and conversation about last year's documentary, MLK FBI. Did you know that we made all of our bonus content free and available? Well, we have, and there are dozens of episodes now on our Patreon site that you can access for free. The link is in the show notes to the bonus feed, and you can add that to your podcast app of choice or listen directly on Patreon at any time at patreon.com slash feelandfilm. We'd still love your support, and for as little as a dollar a month, you can vote and help us choose our donor pick episodes. But... We want you to enjoy this content regardless of your financial situation, and we hope that you will. All right, Coles, with that out of the way, let's get started with these one-word takeaways, and you can kick us off. The takeaway I took from this film was community. There's a sense of people who are coming together, and they have a self, they have a common interest among each other. We see that Francis McDormand's character, friend. She is traveling around the country living life as a nomad, and she meets up with other people who are nomads, and they often come together, meet up, give each other tips about, okay, this is how you should make your car so it can be able to last longer. Like, this is what you should be doing. This is the places you should be going. This is – you got you got to do this. This is how you clean up your excrement <laughs> after you use the bathroom. It's, people are giving each other tips. People are giving each other help, and – there's no judgment among these people. These people see each other for who they are as humans. There's nobody who is doing this nomad thing for fame or for attention or for 
there's no selfish intention with this. People are doing this because they want to feel free. They want to live life differently from most of the other people in the country and around the world live. There's a conversation where there's a woman talking with Fran about, I didn't want to be stuck in the office all day. I had a friend that ended up getting cancer and he died before he was able to take his boat out of the driveway. And so I, I took that as a word of advice for me to start living my life and not sitting in an office all day. You're getting a sense of people who are doing good just for the sake of doing good. People who are living from the heart, people who are giving back, people who care, people who show affection to strangers. It's, it's crazy. This whole film, we see Fran meet him, come across new people that she's never met before, but she treats them very kindly. And both of the people are sharing compassion with each other. And it's something great to see, especially during this time right now where our country is going through a time of great division and unrest, and we have people who are afraid of each other, people who are not willing to come across the table and have a conversation. And this film reminds us that there is a chance for humanity to come together and be able to do things and be honest and truthful with one another without any selfish intentions. Man, that is really well said. And I, this is one of the I can count maybe less than five times since we've been doing one more takeaways where we came away with the same word, probably less than five times where we even came away with like synonyms, direct synonyms of the same word. And I thought about that for a minute. I was like, I saw your word first and I was like, hmm, maybe I'll just use a different word that actually means community because that was what was in my head too. But I was like, yeah, that's dumb because community is the word for me too. Like that is what you just said the takeaway of this film in a big way for me. And that is why I think so many film critics have used the word vital when they talk about this movie. And that means like people need to understand what the situation in middle America is like for people in this day and age. This is not the great depression era folks, but it kind of is like a great depression for some people, but we don't see that because we only see what we experience for the most part or what the news covers and neither one of those are what a lot of us are used to i mean these people are not listening to podcasts probably i don't think they're listening to feeling film it's very unlikely so the word community does fit i think beautifully here and it really it's like the depiction of how community and you mentioned this how community comes together supports each other through difficult times and we see fern joining that community and benefiting from it, but also contributing to it. And it's, that's what community is. It's not all give and it's not all take. It is give and it's take. And through her journey of this community, you know, at times she even rejects it and rejects certain relationships and parts of the community that is offered to her because of a struggle with grief or because of Sometimes a, a slight ego, and I, I don't say that Fern is not an egotistical character, but sometimes you can have a pride that you, you know, are, find it difficult to allow yourself to let others help you in certain ways. And she goes through all of those things. And I think when we go through this journey with her, it's very translatable to our own situation and our own lives, even if we're not the type of people who are going to pack up into our car, our van or whatever and drive off into the country and start living out of it, traveling around. 
we can take the lessons that the characters go through. We can become more empathetic as we see their community. And then we can apply that to our own lives and then our community around us. So yeah, I, I think that was the perfect word. And I love everything you said too. With that said, we are going to move into spoiler territory now. So if you haven't seen the film, again, we just told you it's available in a couple different places, a couple different ways. Seek it out. This is going to be a huge player at the Oscars this year at the end of April. It sounds so weird to say that. Literally two months away from the Oscars, and they probably would have already happened by now, or maybe it would be like this weekend or next weekend. But uh, yeah, two months away. My goodness. But yes, Nomadland is going to be a big contender in many different categories, um, just as it was a winner for Seattle Film Critics. So please seek this out and then come back and listen to the rest of this conversation. Well, Chloe Zhao has made several unique films about the American heartland already, and they they feel very different from anything else that I think we're seeing right now. She has a style and a vision that no one else is really attempting to touch on she, she has a a heart for the heartland as it were and for putting these people on screen and letting us get a glimpse into their lives in a way that is cinematic but is also very realistic and authentic it's just really special and it can almost lend itself to a feeling of a documentary that was what i thought when i was watching nomadland the first time was my goodness this feels like it could be a doc and so I wondered, you know, some people have called this slow and boring and tedious. Others find it absolutely captivating and moving. And, and that's a very big divide, right? When people have this, these different words that are complete opposites about the same picture. And so I wondered what you thought about that. Like, which side do you land on? And what is it about her style that works or doesn't work for you? And I also wanted to ask, I know there's a lot of questions, but I want to know if you've seen the writer specifically, because that's her film that came out right before this one and kind of put her on the map. I have not seen the writer. Um, and that's on me. Um, I'm finding now with this new year that before we watch a big heavy film, that's highly anticipated. I'm going to take a chance to dive into that director's filmography to get a sense of their style before I go into their new film, because I feel like I'm missing out. I may have, miss out on how Chloe's style works in this film. No man being no man land being the first film I've seen of hers, I found the style I found the style pretty enthralling. It was captivating for me. Um I'm a big reader of books and this film kinda and the film is adapted from a book. And so I like when journeys in stories are slow, when they're brooding, when they're building up into something. And it may not be building into something, but there's a sense of documentary style with this kind of story, we see characters that pop in and out. We're seeing this person go through traveling all through America, seeing different places. There's not really any exciting action. There's not going to be explosions. There's not any gunfights. There's not even any big blowups that would be considered very intense or very captivating for other people. But for me, I found it to be pretty solid, but I can see where the complaints about this being maybe slow can come from, and that's what we'll talk about later. It depends on what kind of style film goers like. Um, if you put this across somebody who is more akin to watching blockbusters, then they'll find this 
not like a blockbuster. It's going to be kind of boring for them. But if you put this in front of somebody who enjoys storytelling, who enjoys novels, who enjoys slow burns, then they're going to be in love with this film. And it's up for it's up for people to really decide how they're going to treat a film like this. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm with you. I think that I'll, I'll start by saying the writer is one of my I don't remember where it landed, but it was top 10 uh, for the year when it came out a couple of years ago. And it was kind of this new Western type of film that I really enjoy, like a neo Western where it's the American West, but as it is today, which is different, obviously, than, you know, cowboys and outlaws and things like that. And the thing that she did in this film that really made it special, and I use this word, and I don't use it lightly because I I, it, I put a lot of weight on this word, a lot of value on this word, and that is authentic. It used an actual human being, an actual man who was hurt as a bull rider, and he lived this experience. And we actually go through the story with him of his life, of of his actual you know, situation that he was experiencing and then also his family members. And at times it's a little janky. I'm not going to lie. Like the dad and the daughter of this family, when they're on screen, they don't come across really as great actors, but overall that I can think it works for the picture because it gives you a sense that just like in no man land, that's what makes me feel like it's a documentary because for example, in this film, when we meet the RTR and Bob, these people exist. Bob really did start this thing called the RTR. These people, Swanky, Linda, you know, Dave is an actor, obviously, because I just was just went back through the Bourne series this weekend as well. And I was laughing because he's one of the CIA directors that is chasing down Jason Bourne. And I was like, wait a second, Dave, this is what you did before you got in your van and went know, off right? the <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you're off the grid, right? You're trying to run from a congressional hearing or something. But but anyway, other than he and Fern and Fern, Francis McDormand, most of the people in the community are not actors and actresses. And that gives this a sense of realism that even if you don't know that, you feel it. That's the thing. And I think that Chloe has a way of merging real actors and non-actors so that they come across as this complete true picture as if these characters it just gives them a, a feeling that you don't have if you know they're all actors so you could take this movie you could put it in hollywood with three or four other known actors who are you know typical supporting actors in the roles of those characters and it's going to become less real because you start placing people as you're going through it. But you don't do that with the community in this one because you've never seen them before because they're actual human beings. I found it fascinating in an interview. Francis was talking about how they didn't realize she was an actress because she was so much in tune with them the whole time that she was interacting with them that that's the story Chloe wanted to tell anyway. And so they were like, what do you do for a living? You know? And she's like, no, I'm an, I'm an actress. Like this is, the, I'm pretending, you know? And that's uh, speaks to, I think the greatness of her performance and something that 
Chloe's so good at getting out of people. The other thing I read is about how interesting it was for these non-actors to actually be part of a set because they had jobs. So you couldn't disrupt their schedules. They actually were going from place to place to place on their typical annual, you know, sojourn across the country. And so they would stop and they would have to go find work for a little while. And so you had to film around their actual work scenes because they weren't being, you know, they weren't on the set as a paid star actor or whatever. It was just really interesting. I think how this production came about and that style of being hands on with characters in their boots, in their shoes, and then really focusing on capturing a sense of scale with the landscapes and with the way that she brings the heartland and the actual beauty of America to us, whether it's the sky, the rocks, just a open field, the way that she shoots a freaking you know, wide shot of an RV park. I don't know. It just, it has an emotional resonance to that, that you just don't get when you are dealing with something more glossy in, in normal filmmaking styles. Yeah. There's a heart to the way that this film is made and the way that it carries. So the mark of a great film for me is that you almost get carried away in the environment of the film and you forget that this is a Hollywood production. That's what I felt about this film. Like, you, of course, you know, there's cameras and then you see there's Francis McDormand, but almost every other character is like a real person who is living this life. And that lends a, a sense of trust and integrity that we have with the story. I, we know people who were affected by the, the aftermath of the 2008 housing crisis and the recession. And so we know how that impacted our families and we know how it impacted our friends and maybe other people we may not know about. So seeing it in this film, it didn't feel like that, okay, there's a script right here. You're going to say this part. You're going to say this. It felt like that we were just watching a day in the life or maybe the months in the life of a firm. I mean, even though she's Frances McDormand, there were some times I even forgot that she's Frances McDormand, that she's an actress. And that's maybe credit to her performance but i think it's a credit to chloe and the way that she directed this film and just made it feel as real and as authentic and full of pride but a good sense of pride in the way that she depicted these people and it comes off free without any judgment without any um turn corners or anything like everything feels like it was done to make the best representation of what the book was about and about what nomads are about as the way they live their life. Yeah, definitely so. Well, let's talk about Fern, because this movie is really about Fern, and everybody else revolves around Fern. They're in her orbit, and so she is the central piece that we're going through this story from the very first moment where we learn about what this story is going to touch on. It says, with some text, on January 31st, 2011, due to a reduced demand for sheetrock, U.S. Gypsum shut down its plant in Empire, Nevada after 88 years. By July, the Empire's zip code 89405 was discontinued. And what this is telling us is it's setting us up to understand this is a story about how there are these towns in middle America that they thrive off of a certain plant. Like this is this in this case, it's sheetrock, right? And if that goes away, then all of the people in that town that worked and lived 
because of their jobs in this in this specific plant, they have nothing to do. They have no way to make a living. Um, kind of goes all the way back when you start talking about you know Americans who you know in the Pittsburgh type area where you worked in a mine or something, and if you if your mine was closed or if you lost that work, then there was nothing else you could do. If you you know if you're a factory worker in Detroit and your car plant closes. They don't have skills necessarily or other options in a lot of cases. And so what we see is that happening with Fern. And quickly we see her working at an Amazon packing facility that has replaced it, right? Uh, and, sh and popped up in middle America to kind of take over here. And it's really hard to watch in a way because I'm sitting here as a guy who's got three or four Amazon deliveries every month, you know? And so I, it makes me think about that. It makes me wonder, you know, what I'm supporting. And, you know, I mean, it's not like Fern's not getting paid, but this is a story that then takes her and she is living in this van and she is going to go out into the world and travel from place to place. Um, and, and because of the recession. And so she ends up living in this supportive community that we talked about called the RTR and these people thrive on really just getting by. They don't do anything more than is necessary to survive. And they are extremely content with not a lot. And it's a story and a journey that she goes on of watching a person who is content with what they have in just getting by and not chasing the things that many of us probably spend our time and, and worry about and energy going after when we're completely comfortable. Um, and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't, we don't have to feel bad about being comfortable, of course, but there's an importance to understanding what other people go through. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I'll tell you this, I was pretty inspired by that. And when I come out of the film, you know, when I see people who make a living by just being in love with rocks and turning those rocks into jewelry or something tangible that they can sell. And I see people, you know, living a lifestyle in a middle of America that is based on the barter and trade of the old days in a lot of ways. It does make me take a step back because I have a lot and I complain a lot about the things that I have. And Fern's not a complainer. You know, I mean, you you mentioned the excrement situation. You know, this is, people have to go take a dump in their own van sometimes when it's below freezing outside. And they have to just deal with that. Much like, you know, if you were going to scoop up your cat litter and put it in a trash can. And we, we can't fathom living like that, Colesse, because we have been spoiled. And the thing is that, no one chooses this, right? This is a lifestyle that is the best case scenario out of multiple unfortunate scenarios for these people. And so it did inspire me to look at the world differently, I think. No, it inspired me in the same way. You know, me recently, I've been looking up and watching videos and reading books about minimalism, you know, about how, yes, like, being comfortable with things, that's not a problem. Like, if you're okay with the way you live, like, gathering a lot of things, then, hey, if you like it, I love it. But for me, I feel the sense that in the society we have today, which is 
mostly ruled by consumerism and just gathering all the resources that you can. It's about getting as much as you can. It feels nice to see people who don't have to depend on that, who have not fallen into that trap of keeping up with the Joneses, about having the biggest car, the biggest house, you know, having as much money in the bank. These are people, uh, now I'm sure on the inverse of that, these people would like to have a sense of uh, comfortability. Like, I'm pretty sure that the nomads who are traveling out there, in a sense, maybe they would like to have that chance to have a home or to have somewhere they could be stable or have a job, you know, that could pay a lot of money and they wouldn't have to go out and do these odd jobs. But it's just the way it's just the way that it is, given circumstances, given the 2008 recession, given the way that the capitalist system is is structured. There's winners and there has to be a loser. Now, someone's going to try to come at me and say that I'm trying to speak about socialism. This is not a podcast about socialism or anything, but I'm just saying that for the system of capitalism, there's winners and there's losers. And in this film, it feels like that the people who are nomads, they ended up on the wrong side of the stick. We see that Fern, she had a good job. She had a job that she loved working sheetrock, but the plant closed down. So now she has to do, she has to make it work or do what she has to do. And it may be something to where I step back and I look at myself and I think, okay, what am I complaining about? What am I having problems with? Because like you said before, there are going to be times where we look at the situations that we have and not just for us, but for anybody out there, we look at the situation we have, we think it's not good enough. We think that, oh, it could be so much better. Like, oh, I see somebody has a bigger house than I do. What am I doing wrong? But you're not doing anything wrong. I mean, you should think about the position you're in right now. Think of where you were three or four years ago. I know for me that the situation I'm in now, I couldn't imagine myself being here five years ago. And to somebody who may be at a higher plane than I am with having things, they may look at my situation and see like, oh, well, you don't have as much as I have, but this is as much as I've had before, and I'm thankful for it. And I feel that for the nomads that her fur in this film, they are thankful to just be able to go out and travel and not be placed on restrictions such as working in a corporate office, sitting behind a desk eight hours a day. Um, like I said in the beginning, these people are trying to experience new things. They're trying to make new memories, you know, before they leave this earth. They're, they don't want to be stuck working a job and having to depend on Social Security benefits, which are growing less and less over the years. And there's not much left for people to retire. I know that my grandparents, they retired in their 60s, but then had to go back to work again due to the financial crisis. So this movie kind of hits home at me when I think about how our elderly, they're not able to really just sit back and retire and live comfortably anymore. Most of these people are working until the day they die, into their 70s and 80s. And it's an unfortunate situation and it really makes me step back and look at like, what are we doing in this country as far as the way our economic systems are set up? Like, does it have to be that people have to live this way of having to strive and just do what is enough just to survive each day? Yeah, there's a great moment in here where one of the characters is, and, I, and it's funny saying the word characters because she's a real person. Um, and it feels kind of off in a way to call her a character, but she talks about that. She says, you know, I got $500 in social security. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? You know, like that's, she says, uh, she got $500 and it's Linda. Fern is talking to Linda. 
And Linda is telling her a story about have, wanting to commit suicide at one point. She's so depressed, right? She doesn't feel like there's any way to go. She literally describes how she was going to poison herself with alcohol or then set up a backup to where there would be an explosion. I was, I was, I mean, it was harrowing listening to this because it's a real human being who thought these things. And then she says, I looked at my dogs and I couldn't do it. Couldn't do that to them because that was the connection she had in life. And that talked her out of it. And she says, you know, she got a $450 social security benefit after working for her whole life. What is wrong with us? You know, like we're not a society that cares about everyone. We're a society about get mine and good luck getting yours. And we will say all day that we hope that you get yours too. And we want to make it fair and equal for you to have an opportunity to quote, get yours. But really we just want to get ours and whatever ours is, we don't want to give up ours. We want you to have the opportunity to get yours, but not at the, the not at the cost of having to take some of mine. You know what I mean? And so it, it's a re, that really shone through to me as well. And you know, that's part of why Linda found this support system. And I love seeing how the support system supports itself, for lack of a better term, how the community, the RTR goes about that, how they do group meals. They even had a vegan option. I thought that was neat. I mean, that was like a little detail. I was like, that's really cool. Like they truly are thinking about each other. You know, Fern, uh, you know, asks someone and then serves them and puts it in their bowl for them or whatever. They sit around the campfire and do story time at night and talk about their lives. They talk about what it means to be at peace. They sing, sing along and Fern fits into this. But the other thing is everyone is nice to each other. There's no manufactured beef or animosity between these people in this story, Coalesce. And I, I really appreciated that as well as part of, I think, Chloe's style and really depicting this Americana that these in this group of people. Like they understand the importance to each other. It doesn't mean they don't have moments where they get frustrated with each other because that happens. You know, Dave breaks Fern's plates or something and some other things happen, but they always are serving each other. Fern has a moment where she gives some of the ladies facials with paper towels. That's just, it's adorable and it's creative. It's, it's interesting. And it feels to me like part of what brings them together is because they're all deal. Well, actually I'll say this too. There's the, one of the best lines in the movie is related to this whole fact that they're a community and they're okay with being together and that's when Fern says, I'm not homeless, I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? They have found a way to accept their situation while also fully acknowledging that they shouldn't have to, if that makes sense. That part is inspiring. But I did want to mention the, the grief, right? Everybody seems to be dealing with some sort of grief. This happens when they talk about stories of the campfire, swanky is one of the primary characters. There's this incredibly emotional moment in the middle of the movie or so where it was almost my connecting point. She is describing all of these amazing things that she's done. She talks about going kayaking and seeing moose in the wild. And she says, I saw hundreds of swallow nests on the wall of a cliff and I re they reflected in the water and it looked like I was flying with them and they're all around me and these little white eggshells fell in the water 
And she said, I felt like my life was complete. And if I died right then in that moment, it would be perfectly fine. And she's talking to Fern about how she has cancer and seven months to live. And yet she's not a hospital. She refuses to go back to one. She just wants to live off of these memories that she has. And eventually she even invokes the name of Dr. Kevorkian and says, I'd rather take that way out. And the poignant part after this is she says, maybe when I die, my friends will gather around the fire and toss a rock into the fire in memory of me. All I want is to see something neat. <laughs> and yeah, and, and, you know, Fern's dealing with her late husband. It just, I don't know, man. That part hit me too, is like when these people are out there in the great wilderness and with all this quiet, I feel like your grief is harder to push away in a lot of ways too. Like we are able to suppress our grief. And I'll be honest from myself, you know, I can throw myself into podcasting. I can watch a million movies to escape. But if I don't have an escape, then the grief is going to be harder for me to deal with. And without people to get through that together, these folks would, you know, be in real trouble, I think. Yeah, when when Linda is giving that whole thing about that she wants to spend her last few months just going up to Alaska because she had great memories up there, it kind of brought me back to the whole thing about how memories are the thing that's that will hold you, that will be the things that give you comfort when your time comes. You know, we are so used to being in the hustle and bustle of the um, American system where it's just all about working and working and working and then buying these things and buying these things and working and working and working we we kind of forget you know how how gratifying it could be to experience new things i noticed that for me a few years ago me and my girlfriend have been taking trips you know to here and there we went to georgia we've been to portland a few times we've been going to many places just trying to see new things because it's so easy in this life to get caught up in just being surrounded by work and being surrounded by stress and drama you got to have an outlet you got to have something that's going to bring you a little bit of pre a peace, a little bit of freedom. And the thing that I would say about grief is that grief is something that's going to be there. I mean, you can lose somebody and it's not you're not going to be able to get over it. You know, it's it's hard enough, especially if they means if it's a person that means somebody special to you. It's going to be hard to get over that. But there could be comfort taking in thinking about maybe the happy things that that person did for you. Maybe about the times that you shared, maybe about, you know, the positives of the person that you lost. And in this film, for me, the character of Fern, she hasn't been able to really get past that anchor of grief. She's kind of holding on to it and it's kind of affecting her relationships with other people because we can see that, she has people like family who advise her, hey, if you want to come and stay somewhere, you can come and stay with me. It's OK. But Fern, she she feels like she doesn't want to be tied down to any place or any sense of residence because she doesn't want to get too comfortable because she doesn't want to experience that loss again. And trust me, I can understand that feeling. Um, it, once you've been hurt so bad, you never want to experience that feeling again, even though we know that life is all random and chaos. Things can happen out of nowhere. But if you get hurt, you never want to experience that pain again. And I feel like Fern is kind of like hiding herself away from feeling that sense of connection. But 
she has the moments where she almost feels like she wants to open up to it. Like towards the end, when she goes to Dave's house and meets his family and his grandkids, you can see that there's a sense that she's kind of opening up to the idea of, hey, maybe I don't have to continue to live like a nomad. Maybe I do have an opportunity to settle back into a sense of stability, but she's not able to. And, and it feels like, and it feels like we don't know really what to take away from that as far as is she able to deal with that grief respectfully or is she going to be able to hold on to that and just live with that for the rest of her life? Yeah, I mean, it directly affects, like you said, the relationship with her family. There's the one scene where she does go back to them and she's really resistant to even taking their help. Likewise, she's res resistant to a relationship with Dave, who clearly is smitten with her. It is one of the sweetest, most pure relationship example of, of like having a crush that I've seen in years in cinema. It is a beautiful, beautiful depiction of this for older people and not just manufactured because people are in their 20s and 30s. Like the way that it shows up, I think is very natural and it's beautiful. And I, I think I know I was rooting for it, right? I was like, please, Fern, like this guy is amazing. Like Dave is wonderful and and you deserve this and he deserves this all the way to the point where she kind of like tries. She goes to visit him. You can see that she wants to make that attempt. And he's like, they got a guest house, you know, like you can stay, you can stay, you can hang up the van for a while and let's be together. And she can't allow herself to do it. And it's, it's frustrating in a sense, because she's got this grief that she's struggling with so much. And I think, and this is where I talked about pride, I think comes into it as well. A sense of, I've been doing this so long. This is what it is. Like I can't change now. And watching these people go through that is both, it's kind of heartbreaking at times. Um, it's beautiful, but it's something you wish that they would have more opportunities to change things for themselves or that we wish you could you wish that they would have the means to feel comfortable making changes to their life if they wanted to. Because what you don't want to do is say someone is making the wrong choice for being in a community like this. Because we're not those people. But what you can say is you don't want someone to have to make this choice because they have no other option. Right? You want them to be able to make choices and and have the ability to move on and have community to get through their grief and all these things. Well, we don't always discuss technicals on this show, particularly. Like, we don't call them out. But for this movie, and for Chloe Zhao in particular, the cinematography and the score, I think, are... They're both phenomenal. And in my opinion, they are critical pieces of the emotional storytelling that we go through. And so I was really moved by both the cinematography and by the score, which is actually, unfortunately it's not an original score. It's music from previously recorded soundtrack. Uh, so it doesn't get to compete for any kind of awards, but I think it's perfect. It's got strings and piano in a way that just exemplifies the majesty of these American heartland shots that we get to see. I mentioned earlier the rocks, the formations, the the fields, the beautiful skies, Magic Hour in particular. Um, the cinematographer talks about how it was tough to get that 
I heard him and Chloe Zhao actually discussing this in an interview where they were like, we had to get up at like 4 a.m. every morning and get everybody set and kind of like hope for the right perfect angle and cloud coverage to get these perfect shots because they are frequent. You get that colorful sky, but in a way to get it in a way that you can have it in the camera frame like you need it is not always going to be something you can manufacture. And they were dedicated to getting it right. And for me, it immersed me in this film. And I think it elevated what maybe would have felt like a little bit less of an emotional plot. There are moments in it and we've talked about them, but like those two elements significantly enhanced my connection to like this land and that the, the, these people and where they were like a physical sense. What about you? The cinematography was the first thing that grabbed me. I love the wide shots of just the American heartland. It, it reminds me that there are so many places in this country that I have not seen and visited yet. And that I do want to see. And also the cinematography kind of gives you that sense of loneliness that Fern feels. In the beginning of the film, where she's in the town that had lost a zip code, you almost get a sense that she's very alone. Like, she's, the way that the camera shoots, it's just there's a wide shot, and then Fern is walking through this land, which is full of snow, and there's no sense of, like, life around her. Like, there's no other people, no vehicles. Just only her in this big environment. And that's what it feels like that we're, we're traveling with her through this, but she's by herself. And it seems like this is a journey that where she's going to find a sense of bonding with other people, where she's going to find a sense of belonging. And she does with the RTR. And we see that scene and we see the conglomerate of people that are just around who are living the same life. And, if, and it, then that's the sense we get that she's not alone, that there are other people who are living just like this, and they take her for what she is. You know, we don't have anybody who's asking her, like, hey, are you homeless? Like, are you this or that? No, they're just asking her, hey, how do you how do you want to do your van? Or, hey, these are some tips right here that you can get. Hey, let's go right here and let's have a dance right here in this bar. I mean, it's it goes back to the sense of community that we had, and I'm always a big fan of films that just show prairie valleys, mountains, just big scope environments. I'm a big fan of always. Yeah. And, and this gives it to you. I think that's why, you know, I would definitely say see it in IMAX because just so much of the film takes place with landscapes behind you because they're moving from place to place in this van community. There's not a ton of interior shots you know there's a scene or two in a hospital and a house you get you know a moment where fern's working in a couple different places like amazon or a restaurant but usually this movie is out in the wilderness out in the vast openness of the american landscape and so you're getting that gorgeousness at all times and it's there's a serenity to it as well i think that not only it really it's part of what draws these people to doing this moving from place to place. And you can feel that along with them. Uh, I think really well. Well, last thing kind of, we discovered that for both of us, we had a similar reaction on our second viewing to this when we watched it this week for the podcast. And that was 
it wasn't quite that knock your socks off five star experience that both of us came away with the first time we saw it. And I want to talk about that both. I want to talk about it in a couple contexts. One, what that means for you when it comes to Nomadland in particular, like what was it about the film and your viewing that made you backtrack? And then two, I also wanted to ask you to piggyback off of that. What do you think about that in general? And I, I kind of want to have that conversation just because for listeners, the idea, some people go into life <laughs> when they're rating their movies with the idea that it's what it is. You don't change it. And I don't particularly agree with that. And so I just wanted to know how you approach that as well, both with this film in, in particular, but also in a general sense. For the film, I would say that the middle portion is where things get a little bit sticky. You know, we are traveling to these places and we're seeing Fern meet these people and she's seeing all these different walks of life and there's nothing wrong with it. Personally, for me, I still am a big fan of the film, but there is a sense of where you're kind of wondering, okay, maybe this part could have been edited out a little bit because I learned from an interview that Chloe said that she had a lot of material that was left on the cutting room floor for this film. And from the editing standpoint, it's still a great film, but there's a lot of scenes where we're just seeing people talk and this and that, and it just gets kind of draggy at a point. It gets kind of slow. I'm not asking for high entertainment, but things just kind of just stop to a standstill. And it's very easy to get lost in that. It's very easy to have your attention kind of, not stay onto the screen and kind of ruminate on other things. You know, the beginning, you get the sense of where the story is built up from Fern leaving her hometown to her going and meeting these people. And then at the end, we get the emotional climax. But even with the emotional climax, we're still left with unresolved questions about Fern. We're still wondering why is she not taking on Dave's proposition to stay with him why is she not staying at her family's house like what exactly is going on inside of her with her grief that's not allowing her to find this sense of normalcy in her life if it if it comes down to her just wanting to be on the road that's okay cool but we never really get to see that scene or maybe that conversation where it's like hey this is just what i want to do and blah 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 this is like my grief is keeping me away from doing this and that I wanted to kind of see a scene like that to kind of get where her character's head is at but we never really get that in this in the film and that's what kind of made me back away from my five star which we both had our first viewing when it comes to me changing a rating I hardly ever do it I I make it a rule that hey this is what it's going to be it's ironclad I don't want to go back and change it because I feel that I'm being just kind of hindsight bias like you see something and then you think about it, it's like wait a minute this nitpick here and there that this could have been different then you go back and change it it feels kind of wrong in a sense but for me i take solace in it because it's my honest feelings about a film and you shouldn't let you know a rating determine or the the critical acclaim that film is getting you shouldn't let that in, impact the way that you see a film if a film speaks to you then it speaks to you. If it doesn't speak to you, then that's okay too, because film is subjective. There isn't a standard rule that every film should have. Like, you may see a film as a one star, like in your instance, you had Jojo Rabbit at one star. I, I had gotta Jojo bring Rabbit. up Jojo. <laughs> 
I have to get you with Jojo Rabbit because oh, I'm man. still I'm still questioning that. But oh, I had Jojo Rabbit at four star and I loved it. But hey, we both we both talked about it. We both hashed out what you didn't like and what I did like and it was cool. We were able to come to a middle ground about it. And that's what I feel that it should be when it comes to a topic like this. If you see a film and you're blown away by it, but then you can go back and you don't feel the same way, then hey, change your rating. You know, times may have changed. You may have been just so blown away the first time that you weren't able to catch on to the nitpicks or the minor issues that may hamper your second viewing. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. I, I'm with you there. I, I actually probably have less of a problem with it than you do. It doesn't bother me much at all. What I don't like to do is go back and change rating. And we don't do that. But changing your rating on a new viewing, you're not rating the film forever when you rate it. You're rating the film based on that viewing, based on your experience with the movie. And so in a lot of cases, and Nomadland was not this specific case for me, but in most cases where this happens, a movie can change, your opinion of a movie rather, can change based on your life circumstances. So watching a movie when you were 15, watching Space Jam when you're 15, for example, is different than watching Space Jam when you're 35. Because you're watching it as a cinephile who's seen hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of great movies, and maybe it's not holding up anymore, where when you were 15, all you cared about was that there was these cool basketball stars in the here and now playing with Looney Tunes. You know what I mean? Now you're looking at all these different elements, and so it may change your view. Also, moving from not parent to parent is a big one. <laughs> that can change your perspective on a lot of films. Moving from single to in a relationship can change your perspective on a lot of different films. All kinds of things can do that. Um, for me, in Nomadland... It was very similar to what you're saying. The middle. It felt like it lagged a little. There just was... And this is not a film that particularly wants to have a real strong momentum, but every film needs momentum of some kind that moves you from point A to point B or to the end. And it does kind of stagnate. And I think we see multiple scenes that show us the same things kind of over and over. And there are those big hitter scenes in the middle where we get like that conversation we talked about where Swanky was afraid she was going to you know, die and telling us about her kayak and stuff. And then we get this powerful scene specifically at the end where Swanky's memorial service happens. And it's beautifully, beautifully filmed and shot. It actually reminds me a lot of a scene in the writer around a fire campfire where they sing a song. I'm excited for you to get to experience that one. But this one, you know, somebody throws it in and says, because she loved rocks. And see you down the road, Swanky. See you down the road is that kind of tagline for this movie. And other than that moment and then the moment that you're going to actually talk about with your connecting point that's the end of the film, really, those aren't Fern. They're other characters kind of doing the talking or having the experience and Fern is either taking in the knowledge from them in, in a case or just being there as part of this group instead of it doesn't feel like it's Fern's closure. And like you just said, like she doesn't give us 
the choices. And and I, I guess maybe that's what Chloe's going for is that this is real life and there isn't a nice little neat movie cinematic bow at the end of this. But it also makes for a little bit of um not quite a satisfying story. We were what I was actually reading about this tonight because I just rewatched the movie Rush. And I was reading an article about the differences from real life story, the relationship of the two people that are depicted, James Hunt and Nikki Lauda, and then the film versions. And it was talking about how in the film, Ron Howard makes them a little bit more right, have a little bit more of a heated rivalry that they were actually, they were definitely rivals, but that they were really friends throughout their whole careers. And instead he has this heated rivalry that builds up to this epic at the end of the movie kind of acknowledgement of their friendship moment, when in reality that was something that they had had their whole time. But that's how you, when you're telling kind of a story. And so that's where I think it's difficult with her style being this documentary feel to it. If this was a documentary, I wouldn't necessarily feel like I needed the ending, right? But it's a movie. And so I get stuck in between and that was, that was what it was for me. And so, you know, it just, it just kind of came down a little bit. And again, that's not because it's a bad movie. And I, I don't know why I got to explain it, but this is 2021 and this is everything's black or white and, you know, pro or con or whatever. Like I love this movie and I am perfectly okay with it winning an Oscar. I am perfectly okay with it winning all the things it did for Seattle Film Critics Society Awards. It's amazing in all regards. It's just not a movie that slaps me the way that makes me think of it in a terms of like, that's going to be a rewatchable for me, or that's something that I need to come back to again and again and again. I feel like I went through the journey. It was a great journey. It was special and I'm good now. Yeah. Going back to your, um, 2020, 2021 black and white, you know, it's funny that people seem to have forgotten that just because a film not not a five-star doesn't mean it's not a good film. I mean, it's a four-star film, which means it's a must-watch, and it's great. But for me, five-star takes on a whole different meaning. Five-star is something that I want to go back and I want to study this film. Like, I want to go through and learn everything about it, and I can rewatch it forever and ever, ever. And while this film is great, I don't see it with this film. But am I, is that going to stop me from recommending it to someone else? No. I say, by all means, go watch this film. It's an amazing film. And it's still great cinema. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. All right. Well, we are at the time for our connecting points. And we're actually going to go. I I like to throw it to you first. But because my scene comes first, I'm going to do my scene. And then we'll go do your scene after that. Because that way we can end on yours. And mine's actually not going to take me a long time to talk about either. My scene is actually from the trailer, which is crazy to me when I realized that, Kales. I was like, wait a second, I'm picking a connecting point from a trailer? But this is the thing. In the trailer, it doesn't have nearly the impact as it ultimately is going to have once I see it in context of the film. And contrary to our conversation that we just had about how the thing, the few things in the film that didn't work quite as well for us, this is something that worked even more for me the second time around. And it's the moment where Fern has first arrived at the RTR. She's joined them and it's in her, it's the dawn of her first morning there. She's waking up and she is just walking through the camp. And it is where this 
incredible score comes in that I talked about with the gorgeous string and piano based orchestral um, sounds and Fern walks through the camp. That's all it is, is Fern walking through the camp and it's this long take tracking shot of her. It's wide. And so we get to see kind of the vastness of both the amount of RVs and we get to see the mountains in the background, the beautiful landscape. And we don't focus in on any one thing in the RTR, but you can see it all happening around Fern as she's going through the camp in the background. You can see people moving about doing their morning chores. You can just see people getting up and having their breakfast. And it's just beautiful to watch as an observer. And I think that the way that it transitions from that into showing us the group getting together to teach each other practical things like how to fix a flat tire, how to take care of your own crap, etc. And all of these people with dogs, that was a highlight. But like it really just the sense of community was completely nailed for me in that moment. And it showed you the beauty of it because there's a fear to it. And there's, like I said, a heartbreaking nature to where you kind of want the best for people. But this is where you see the the amazingness that can come from this community. And you can see it for what it is, not as something we're watching on screen as this other, but just as an existing ecosystem all of unto itself. It's just moving. It's as if the camera's not there in this moment. It's not people acting per se. They probably are, but they're just doing things. They're living. And it's like, again, that documentary feel where it's like a snapshot, almost like maybe there's a nature photographer hidden up somewhere in the corner and they don't know they're there. And you've zoomed in with this ultra zoom camera, just watching life take place on any, any old morning for this group of uh, RTR folks. And so it was really impactful for me. And that was why I picked it as my connecting point. So mine comes at the pretty much the end of the film where Fern is having a conversation with Bob, who is the guy who in real life is known for being a nomad. And they're having a conversation and Fern discloses to him about how she's been holding on to the grief of losing her husband and that it feels like everywhere she's goes, she's trying to take a piece of him with her everywhere she goes. And that's why she didn't want to leave the town she was at because it felt like she was leaving him because her husband didn't have any family. He didn't have any family. He could really go to it. All he had was her. So her leaving felt like she was leaving him behind and it's carried with her everywhere she goes. And Bob, he then tells her a story about how he suffered grief and loss with losing his son. And for him being a parent, and I'm not a parent, so I wouldn't understand, but losing your kid, you know, before you end up passing away has to be harder because you want to see your kid grow up and you want to see them get to live their life. And the kid's supposed to be the one who buries you, not you burying the kid. But then he talks about how he took that experience and it allowed him to go on a new frontier of serving people of how well, since my son's not here, you know what? I'm going to make my son proud and I'm going to serve other people. I'm going to take this bad experience and turn it into something good. And it that was a message that hit me right there on the nail. Because for me, a couple of years ago, I lost my grandmother. And, you know, the sadness, it, 
engulfs you very quickly and it's something you never really get over because she meant a lot to me she was a very special lady and she gave me a lot of the life advice that i've taken to heed over the years and so when she had passed away i was hurt but i decided to use this opportunity to, you know what i'm going to do what i can to make her proud wherever she may be and like bob says i know that i'll see my son again i'll see him down the road and he tells Fern, that's how you have to be. Like, you may have lost your husband. He may not be be here with you right now. But, hey, you're going to see him down the road. You're going to see him again. So don't waste your life. Well, not waste it, but don't go through life just holding on to this and let it limit you. Use this as inspiration. Use this as a way for you to go out and show other people the beauty of life, appreciating them, helping people, being selfless, um, being compassionate. And without asking for any getbacks or anything, because most of the time what we see now in this day and age is that people will help somebody. And then they'll ask them, like, well, I helped you this one time, so why are you not helping me? Like, no, being truly selfish is helping somebody and not expecting a, a payback, not expecting something in return, just doing it out of the goodness of your heart. And that's what Bob did. He took his he's he has his grief and he has his loss, but he's using it as a way to serve other people and to help other people. And I think that's hopefully what Fern does. Like we, once the final frame ends, I like to think that Fern eventually finds somebody that she can share, she can share her heart to hearts with, her compassion with, and she can be able to settle down. That's my wish. You know, we don't know what's going to happen, but I hope it does for her. And that conversation kind of um, opened up some things in my mind to take with me. That's awesome that you were able to pull that out of it. I think it's a beautiful moment between the two of them for sure. And I would echo everything you said, as well as specifically what Fern says to Bob. She says, like my dad said, what's remembered lives. And then this is the kind of zinger line. I may have spent too much of my life just remembering that one rings true for me, particularly because I am sort of anti-memory in a way people would say i don't keep a lot of you know knickknacks around from my childhood or things like that my dad's always telling me you know like oh do you want this old jacket that you wore when you were five years old and i'm like no i don't it's gonna go in a box you know i think there's an element of a way that we can remember too much um, I do think remembering is important, and I agree with her dad. Remembering things keeps them alive, but there is truth to what Fern is saying. You can remember so much that it doesn't allow you to experience the here and the now and move on. And she's hopefully, we don't really see, but like hopefully going to take Bob's advice and grow from that and be able to move past her grief. That's That's, our, that's what we want for her. I'm sure. Well, that's all, folks, for this episode of Feeling Film. We appreciate you giving us a slice of time out of your day or night, depending on when you're listening to this. And if you want to keep the conversation going or give us your thoughts, find us in the awesome Feeling Film Discussion Facebook group. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation, and we will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show grow our community of listeners like you. 
We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.